This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. For every horror title to hit VOD, there are countless others that end up DOA. Development Hell is a podcast dedicated to unearthing these plagued horror productions, to find out what went wrong, and then decide if they still got a shot at the green light. I'm your host, Josh Corngut. I'm a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada, and I make very spooky movies, just ask my mom. This podcast is brought to you by the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. So today we're taking an itsy-bitsy detour out of the world of horror to talk about something a little bit more lighthearted. Yes, that is Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, the classic never-made horror-ish movie, Beetlejuice 2. Beetlejuice 2 has been in production for, yeah, you guessed it, ages and ages and ages, and is still kind of in production today. We're going to focus pretty heavily on the original concept for Beetlejuice 2, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. But we're also going to give you some of the information of what's happening with the project now and where it could go in the future and, you know, ultimately, is it going to get made? We are going to talk about the importance of the first film, that legacy of Beetlejuice. You know you want to hear it because it's very bizarro and wackadoodle and delightful. We're going to talk about the modern updates on the sequel I'm talking about Winona Ryder saying all sorts of stuff to the media. That is not true. Winona, why are you giving us all of this hope and then just taking it away from us? It seems kind of rude. Obviously, we're going to talk about the original Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian project, including a pretty detailed slash lazy summary of the script, which I've gotten my hands on. I have become quite the sleuth. If you've been listening and I think you have been, um, you'll be so impressed that I'm able to just find all these magical scripts that never got turned into movies from the weird 90s and 80s, because yes, Reddit, yes, Google. We're also going to talk about the animated television series, which obviously you loved, the Broadway situation, which is messy, but very interesting. We're going to end in some kind of dark, scary alley when we talk about Tim Burton's Lost Way, and we're going to discuss a little bit about the Jeffrey Jones issue of it all. Of course, we're going to end with, will it still happen? And my favorite new aspect of the podcast, at the end of the day, we're going to have a fun conversation with filmmaker Maya Korn. Maya is a producer and ultimately one hell of a Beetlejuice fan. Also, she's so cool, and you have to follow her on socials. You will get those handles When you get them, God. Okay, so let's start off with the legacy of Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. 1988, a year before I was born. Wowza, that's a long time ago now. We're edging towards the 35-year mark. So Tim Burton, um, everybody's favorite wacky uncle, uh, was finally making this follow-up to his uh, debut feature, Pee-wee, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. There was a big success off of that little tiny film, and he immediately started working with Warner Brothers on Batman. But 
Warner wasn't exactly ready to greenlight a humongous project like Batman right away. And so they just kind of tossed him a measly $15 million to make something. He was a little bit disappointed at the time, though, with the unoriginal scripts that were coming across his desk as an emerging filmmaker in Hollywood. One of these scripts that he got was allegedly Hot to Trot, a John Candy comedy about a horse who moonlights as an investment banker. Candy voicing the horse, obviously. I think it was made. I have questions about the amount of cocaine people were on when they wrote that script, but it's not about judgment. It's about Beetlejuice. The original script for Beetlejuice was written by Michael McDowell, who uh, wrote the Tim Burton-directed episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents The Jar. I suggest going to YouTube. It is there. Okay, so originally Beetlejuice, it was actually meant to be a little bit more violent, or a lot more violent, including a way more graphic car crash with the Gina Davis character actually crushing her arm. Yuck. Okay. So, Tim Burton originally wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to play the role of Beetlejuice, which I can see, but also, uh, and, um, there were a couple of alternative titles for this film. We had House Ghosts, snore. We had Anonymous Haunted House Story, 29480, and also Scared Sheetless, which is bad. Beetlejuice was originally meant to be a murderer and sex offender. I'm pretty sure he ended up still being a bit of a sex offender. And ultimately, yes, also a murderer, but let's keep going. There's also a weird commentary on suicide and relationships and death. What is this? The Virgin Suicides, is it? I'll watch that. So German Expressionism was a big, big, big inspospo for the film's style. The cabinet of Dr. Caligari being an immediate influence. And if someone said, Josh Ash, wait give me a German expressionist film, I would say, oh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So I'm not exactly um, impressed, Mr. Burton. Just name me something I've never heard of before. Was Nostarafu German expressionist? I think it was. Burton was inspired by old horror movies, but through a comedic lens. So we're going to talk a little bit later when we get to Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian about these bizarro dichotomies or parallels that Tim Burton likes to draw between two things that like really should not work together, i.e. like 1980s slapstick comedy and, you know, old horror movies. Salvador Dali inspired the clay desert scenes, and if you've seen the movie, you'll not be surprised by that, as they're very surreal. There are scary, scary monsters. Things are drip, droop, dropping all over the place. Goth. Mmm. Goth, goth, goth. So goth is a bit of a moral stance in this movie. And there's a push against modernism and trend. So we see the Dietz is destroying this house that's gorgeous and traditional and like very spooky ooky i love it in the countryside and then we have Catherine o'hara being iconic but coming in and being like no 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 take away the tradition take away the beauty we're gonna make a grotesque modern structure out of this bullshit and so in this movie we have yeah this constant battle between tradition and modern and also like weird versus um, mainstream. So again, we're talking about the goth versus the mainstream, the fringe versus 
the lace, honey. The deets are quick to capitalize on their house being haunted. We're going to see this come up again in the sequel where they capitalize on the environment, but this time around it's on the ghosts in their house. Uh, this leads to a pretty disturbing sequence later in the film with a seance that send the nearly decayed Adam and Barbara characters, we're talking about Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, into the realm of the what I consider to be the hungry ghosts. Okay, pause. So my dearly beloved grandmama, who has passed, RIP, I love you, I miss you, was a Buddhist. And because I've always been a spooky ooky boo, she would lure me to like hang out and talk about Buddhism with some of the more spooky aspects of the religion. And there was one aspect that like always got me, which was the concept of the hungry ghosts. And the hungry ghosts were people that in their lifetime were like greedy motherfuckers who were not very nice and were like, give me your money and I'm going to kill you. That kind of vibe. And then in the afterworld, they have tiny, tiny little pinprick mouths, which is scary, and tiny little necks, but like huge bellies that are insatiable, and they can never, like, they can never feed themselves enough, and they're always in like constant hunger agony, which is very fucking scary. Come on, religion, why do you gotta play like that? Anyways, in Beetlejuice, there's something a little bit like this, where ghosts can die and you see this like bizarro horrifying like hell world of dead ghosts just sort of floating through the ether and you're like no 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 we don't want that like that is worse than death that's death death uh would love to see a movie about that where's that sequel everyone listen to me for once so talking a little bit more about the original beetlejuice michael keaton didn't really get Beetlejuice at first, but Tim Burton was avid and kept explaining, and eventually he was like, okay, fine, I'll fucking do it. The film actually went on to win an Oscar for Best Makeup, which for a genre or comedy is pretty fucking cool. Pauline Kael, everyone's favorite, not so nice, but incredible film critic, uh, referred to the film as a comedy classic, while someone named Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader, never heard of her, felt Beetlejuice carried originality and creativity that did not exist in other movies. Okay, so we can't be mad at her. Uh, not everybody loved it, but generally speaking, yes, we did, because it's a classique, and it's the best movie ever made, and I love Beetlejuice, and that's why I'm forcing you to listen to this project on Beetlejuice 2. Before we jump, jump, jump straight into talking about Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, I kind of want to, like, go non-linear, before we jump directly into Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, I want to be like super non-linear on you and talk a little bit about the more modern sequel that has been in the works over the last 10 years. In 2013, well, long ago already, uh, Winona Ryder said, unquote, I'm kind of sworn to secrecy, but it sounds like it might be happening. It's 27 years later, and all I have to say is I love Lydia Dietz so much. She was such a huge part of me, and I would be interested in what she was doing 27 years later. Okay, was that a good impression? I feel like it was spot on. Yes, Winona, we all agree. Okay, so Ryder later confirmed that she would only consider doing the sequel if Burton and Keaton were involved. See, this is like already playing, quit playing games with my heart, please. Anyways, 2014, Burton said, it's a character that I love and miss working with Michael. 
There's only one Beetlejuice, and we're working on a script, and I think it's probably closer than ever, and I'd love to work with him again. Okay, cute. In 2015, um, Grand Smith, who is a writer on this project that probably isn't going to happen, told Entertainment Weekly that the script was finished and Burden just needed to actually start filming by the end of the year. Didn't happen. 2020, nothing's happened. 2021, what's the tea? You want to hear all about a boodle juice goes Hawaiian. I do too. But before we get there, we need to build this house out of brick. We need to support ourselves with the history of everything that is Beetlejuice. So let's talk about the cartoon from the early 90s. ABC Saturday Morning lineup. This Beetlejuice adaptation, 1990, super self-aware, super incredible. Tim Burton was the EP. Danny Elfman allowed his original score to be used and even composed new music for the project. The show ultimately won a daytime Emmy, which is pretty fucking cool, airing on ABC. So this was like a big deal for a Saturday morning cartoon. There were only four seasons, but the fourth and final season was like 60 episodes long. What? Why? Can we like talk about that? No. There's also, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, a musical of Beetlejuice that was actually fairly recently shut down. And not just because of COVID, but because people like didn't, pay to see it enough. So, the musical was commissioned by Warner Brothers in 2016 and was directed by Alex Timbers. Uh, Australian comedy musician Eddie Perfect wrote the music, and the book was written by Scott Brown and Anthony King. Alex Brightman took the starring role, and Sophia and Caruso t- played Lydia. So this production actually opened up in D.C. in 2018 before making its big move to Broadway the following year. Unfortunately, it was canned even before COVID, and when COVID came along, it shut shuttered the doors even quicker. But, 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 hold on. This is not Carrie the Musical. This is not the biggest flop of all time. And there was some outcry because this musical had already become a cult favorite. It was nominated for literally every Tony imaginable, didn't win a single one of them, but it did happen to snap a Drama Desk Award for Best Set, which is kind of like, mm, it's going to be staged again this year in South Korea. So hopefully they've got their COVID situation figured out by the time this opens up, because the world deserves Beetlejuice, the musical, I think. Haven't really listened to the music from it. Someone recently told me it was good. Sherwin, that's you. Are you listening? All right, we're here. We're queer, and we're going to steer the ship into Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Cue the tropical music. After the events of the first film, the conceit was that the Deets were going to move to a private island in Hawaii and they were going to open up uh, an exclusive resort. They were going to build a resort on this little island, Bing Bamboo. That's the general sort of logline for the project. Um, We'll get a little bit more into the summary later. So Jonathan Gems, which is a great name, Daniel Waters, Pamela Griffin, and even Kevin Smith were all in contendence to write the script. Is contendence a word? I feel like it sounds like one. It's definitely not. So Kevin Smith actually went on record in 2005 saying something along the lines of that, do we really need to see saying something 
Didn't we say all we needed to say after the first Beetlejuice? Like, do we really need to go tropical? Yes, buddy, we need to go tropical. What is this pretentious bullshit? You are fired. Let's let someone else write it. Ultimately, Jonathan Gems would go on to write the project. The cast and the crew were all set to actually join the project from the first movie. Everyone seemed really, really fucking invested in that first film. I really think everyone that made it loved making it and thought they made something really special. Let's be honest, they did. This is not, you know, the average run-of-the-mill movie. This was something really unique and special and very imaginative. And I think all these big Hollywood names, who maybe even became big names sort of before and after this production, sort of had a special place in their heart for this little movie. And I am talking about Michael Keaton. And I am talking about Winona Ryder. And I am talking about Tim Burton. Okay, so the cast were all in line to return under the one little, um, what's the word? The cast and crew were all set to return under one condition that Tim Burton would return to direct. Uh-oh. SpaghettiO, because unfortunately, Batman Returns was a bigger priority for Warner Bros. First Batman that Tim Burton made, incredible, uh, was a big success, and he was contracted truly obliged to make the sequel which ultimately is a bigger movie and like i think he probably wanted to make that more than beetlejuice 2 and then because of that shuffle it kind of just never got made after that beetlejuice was set to save the day by riding a surfboard and then they just took it out from under our feet what is this why i demand an answer okay so there we have it now I know what you want. I know what you need. You're never going to get to see it. It's never going to get made. Okay, maybe it will, but like probably not. And if it does, this Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian bullshit is not coming your way. But don't cry. Calm down. If you need to pull the car over, you do that because safety comes first. I have good news. I read the script. Yes, yes. I went into the depths of Google. Second link after typing in Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian script, found it, read it. It's fine, but ultimately I'm going to make it better by giving you a very colorful performance of a summary. So now you don't need to see it. Now you can think, oh, Josh is going to fucking give me a summary. I'll see it in my mind. It'll be beautiful. It's like going to the theaters in a time where none of us can go to theaters because it's a pandemic apocalypse. All right. So Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, summary of a script by Jonathan Gems, G-E-M-S. God damn, that's a good name. Do you think that's his real name? I would be surprised. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. So the script opens up with Beetlejuice, who's been working as a janitor in a supermarket in hell post the events of the first film. He is dating a burn victim named Rita, and he's a really bad boyfriend, and it's really sad. He's, like, not nice to her and kind of ignores her, and she's clearly in love with him. And you're like, you can do better than him, Rita. Like, you're a burn victim. Like, get another, like, sexy guy burn victim. But no, anyways. So he's a bad boyfriend, as he would be. This guy is clearly very abusive. Anywho's, so he's approached by five ghosts of, unquote, Hawaiian holy men, uh, one of whom clearly died of leprosy, which is Uki. So they want his help as a bioexorcist to get rid of some land developers that are building resort on their island of Kanuka. So 
Beadle Juice declines the job because his license had been retracted after the events of the first film. Okay. So, you guessed it. These developers are none other than the Dietz family. Yeah, so the Dietz have always been interested in real estate, as goes the events of the first film. So, they're in Hawaii with this new development project on this little private island, and they want to make this spectacular new resort. Um, but unfortunately, this is screwing with the flora and fauna of the island, leading to locals protesting. Now, yeah, the locals are depicted kind of um, terribly and disappointingly as stoners and typical surfer-type characters. Um, and I'm pretty sure the diversity element of the script is either lacking or confusing or offensive. So I'm not going to get too deep into that stuff, but like, just kind of imagine it, that this uh, environmentalism is a big issue and theme here which I think is was kind of obvious, but is cute and kind of makes sense. Lydia is left with very little to do except for pine for a local surfer, Hunk, uh, who scoffs at her father's capitalistic aggressions. And she kind of like teams up with him. She's like, yeah, daddy, I hate you. And we're not going to support you building this thing here. And like the environment's important. But secretly, I just like this dude because he's buff and cute. The holy men decide to put this curse on the island, which stops all the waves from crashing. And therefore, tourism is halted because nobody can surf. And like, if nobody can surf, then they're going to clear from the turf, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, you're freaking out. You're like, that's the worst case scenario. Um, The tension is just too much to bear. Do not worry, because for some reason, Lydia has this like new singing ability she is like in touch with her singing self and learns that she can like sing these ancient magical water hymns to bring back the waves um sounds like cultural appropriation to me but i couldn't tell you what culture maybe it is pulling from a real culture i need to revisit moana so alas the island is tormented by the ghosts of these five holy men And Lydia thinks that her best bet mm -mm, is to summon the ghost with the most to save the day from these tropical spooks. All right. So with the help of like a local shaman type, Lydia travels back into hell to meet Beetlejuice to make sure that he will sign a clause stating that he won't try to like sexually harass her, which is weird, but honestly necessary because he was weird with her in the first movie and he continues to be weird with her in this movie. If I'm going to be honest with you. So she returns to hell and he's like, okay, I've missed you. I love you, but I can't help you because I don't have my, my exorcism license. It's been redacted after you, you know, you spoiled me in the first movie. So they go on this, like, cute little adventure through hell and eventually get to some kind of bureaucratic building and they convince someone to give him, like, a redacted acted license. But the gist is, it's only for three days. So Beetlejuice can only go back to Earth for three days to get shit fixed. So hopefully that's enough. Um... During all this, Lydia goes on a date with a head with feet. So that's weird. But ultimately, they come back to Earth. 
So once on the island, Beetlejuice disguises himself as a celeb photographer, and all the hip stoners and surface think he's super cool, which obviously he is. Now he's abusive, he's gross. But he's cool. And like weirdly hot, sorry. Um, so while this is all kind of happening, and Beetlejuice is figuring out how to save the island, Lydia is still falling in love with a local named Kimo. Um, Beetlejuice not obsessed with this because he's still pining for teenager Lydia Gross decides it is a good idea to turn a cactus into a hot chick so that hot chick cactus literally named cactus kind of funny uh makes Kimo fall in love with her leaving Lydia for himself seems a little roundabout just kill Kimo if you're like a fucking demon but you know what I don't tell you how to do your job you don't tell me how to podcast Unless you have some good pointers, which I need. And of course, what does the script do next? It tries to capitalize on the Deo magic, that song used in the first film, the Harry Belafonte moment. And this time they do it with an uninspired live performance of the Harlem Shuffle. Beetlejuice then slips Lydia a love potion, a.k.a. date rape drugs, uh, before saving the hotel by winning over the holy men in a supernatural surfing contest, which he wins, obviously, in a breeze. So in exchange for winning them the island, Beetlejuice actually gets to have a green card marriage arranged with the now-in-love-with-him Lydia, because that's his only way of staying on Earth. He found a loophole. If he marries a human, he can stay. I forgot to mention that earlier. Kind of important note. But Lydia's like, I'm in love with you. You gave me that weird potions so like no big deal no big deal let's get married again and just like the climax of the first film they're about to have this hell wedding that spooky dress hopefully is back that red wedding dress every goth girl's dream and mine but right before the shit goes down beetlejuice's mom shows up what frees lydia from the spell good and all hell breaks loose from there Beetlejuice gets very upset, tries to kill everyone again, kind of like in the first movie. And there's this, like, whole tropical island King Kong volcano chase moment that's actually kind of cool and, like, ridiculous. Oh, and I did it. Okay, so I haven't mentioned, but that Otho is still around, like, being all fat and wacky. Gotta love it. And ultimately, he's the one that saves the day by saying, Beetlejuice, 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 sending our beloved Grosso back to hell. Back in hell for our tag, Beetlejuice accidentally doses himself with his own love potion and falls in love with the girlfriend, aka burn victim Rita, who still pines for him. So it's kind of like a happy ending for everyone, especially Rita, I guess, except she's now in a committed relationship with Beetlejuice Gross. Actually not gross, I'm jealous. And it ends with Beetlejuice singing the Harlem Shuffle again in a nightclub in hell. Yeah, when I was reading the script, I was like, what is this bizarre, not goodness? But now that I'm reading it back, I'm thinking, I want to see it. Before we get to the big kahuna, aka will this movie get made, I think I want to take un momentos, one moment, just to talk about Tim Burton in recent years. So I don't know how long it was ago because I don't do homework, but Tim Burton has gone on record saying some pretty crappy things about diverse casting in his films and has gone on quote saying something very close to the lines of, 
you know, um, black exploitation movies don't necessarily cast a number of white people. So why should my movies cast people of color? I don't think any smart person in the world needs to explain why diversity is important and why that is bullshit. But obviously our girl has gotten, I don't know, uh, detached from reality or maybe their true selves is coming out a little bit more than it should. And we're all very disappointed. Um, I like to take solace in knowing that, you know, none of us have liked a big, oh, sorry, none of us have liked Tim Burton since Big Fish. And so hopefully at that time he was less horrifying and we can just enjoy him from, you know, 1987 to 2003. And anything after that, erased, gone, goodbye. Um, it's also worth noting that Jeffrey Jones, who plays the father in Beetlejuice and was probably likely to return for the same role in Beetlejuice 2, his name was Jeffrey Jones, and he had been arrested for child pornography charges. And um, you can't really talk about the Beetlejuice story without at least mentioning this frighteningness and um, just hoping that, you know, anyone that maybe has been in contact with him is, you know, healthy, safe, and we uh, we don't support any of his work, I guess, from this point on. So, will Beetlejuice 2 ever get made? Uh, yeah, I think it will. Um, it's clear that the Beetlejuice franchise is not kaput. We have this Warner Brothers-produced musical that is still making the rounds all around the world, even in a pandemic. Uh, and we still have the main cast and crew occasionally popping up, like Gophers saying that it's going to happen. So I think it's probably just about timing and getting a good script. But ultimately, if Tim Burton makes it, you know it's not going to be good. It's going to be covered in CGI, and the story's not going to make sense, and it's just going to be a bunch of pale people kind of stroking each other's egos. That peculiar children movie... It was bad. Oh, all the movies that he's made since 2003 were bad. Fight me. You won't because you agree. Okay. So now you're going to hear uh, a very fun interview with um, filmmaker Maya Korn, who is a big Beetlejuice fan. And we're going to talk a little bit about her history with Beetlejuice and wishes for the sequel. Um, so for this specific episode, I'm going to be going in depth on Beetlejuice 2. Do you have a relationship with the first film? Like, are you a fan? Do you have any thoughts? Like, even on my Instagram, it says, lover of the strange and unusual. And that's like, I was, I was annoyed. I was trying to rewatch it before this. I mm -hmm. watch it every year. I'm so. sure you've seen it like a trillion times. So you know times. it. I love it so much. I, I love it too. <laughs> I, so you're probably familiar that they have been working on a sequel for years and years. How do you feel about that? What are you, do you have any like? Uh, well, actually, I had no idea. You, yeah. you, you brought this to my attention. So we have to Google before we chat. Oh my god! I thought it looked really fun and tacky. I'm so sad that it doesn't exist. Why with the golf course and all the main characters so have been funny. there? Like, I know it's like perfect theme for him too. Like a little Hawaiian moment. I, personally, I'm like I would be trepidatious at this point, just with the recent Tim Burton projects that we've seen and yeah, 
I and I don't want to be that guy, but I I'd be nervous for for him tackling such a legacy project again because it's so uh, precious. Uh, contemporary be sort of the thing is that they made that sequel like a few years after the original. It's so like cool value even if it was a shit film like mm-hmm. you would have loved it now I'm sure it'd be a cult classic For but sure. if he makes it now and puts his like 300 million dollar budget brain behind it I think it <sighs> might go a bit wrong like possibly he shouldn't be the one to direct he it. should not be and it CGI is kind of defeats the whole purpose of a Beetlejuice experience and you know that would happen so, so sad but I know that being said, I haven't watched it, or I don't know if it's out yet, but did you see there's just been a remake of The Witches? Yeah. I haven't seen it Yeah. So... Also, she, she's, she's, like, scarred. Like, the, in oh, this episode, she's got scarred. Like, it's really her own character. They haven't tried yeah. to do... Uh, what's her name? I've, like, Angelica. Angelica. Exactly. Because if they'd done that, like, that is... She's uh, such an iconic role. That is oh. my favorite role of her. That's so and good. I, like, thingies... I think he's blanking on her name. But she, she's, she's doing it her own way, and I'm so yes. happy about yes. that. Me too. And I, I feel like um, Anne Hathaway gets way too much hate. And I think it's rooted in, in mm, sexism, probably. And we don't have to get too deep into it. But I, it's always kind of upsetting to me. People don't take it seriously because she came up through rom-coms. I love She's rom-coms. got the Oscar, right? So exactly. jokes She's on us. Um, has there ever been a project, especially when you were young, or a film that you wanted to see that never came out? And if not, that's totally okay, because it's a very yeah. specific question. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that one when I was reading the questions, and I was like, I don't think so. I mean, I know for me, mm-hmm. I want to do a project on Paris Green. Tell me about that. So Paris Green is something I discovered. I went to a lecture, a Halloween lecture in New York a few years ago. And people listening, don't steal my idea. <laughs> I read, and it was really incredible. Basically, in I think it was in the Victorian times, or just pre, there was this like really beautiful green color that became popular. So people were putting it in their dresses, they were painting nurseries in this color. It was yeah. just like this trendy color that was everywhere. Okay. But it was made out of arsenic. Oh my God, So incredible. women in the summer, and there's no AC then, would be walking in these huge dresses and like making poison gas clouds. Babies in the nursery would be breathing the vapors and die. It was this, it was a truly oh, wow. lethal woman <laughs> color. And so I don't know what I want to do with it, and, and maybe someone will beat me to it and do something incredible. I don't know, but I want to see this subject matter covered. Like, I think it's fucking... There's a certain chemical that, like, glows, and they used to make all sort of, like... Oh, radioactive one. It's, like, uranium or something. Yes, uranium. The yeah. radium girls, and there was girls yeah. that always had to deal with it, and they had not a happy ending. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Watch the watch faces with it. Ooh. Oh, it's not great. They do... Um, I think they did a good episode on my favorite murder all about it and it was really upsetting so <laughs> but do you have any other dream projects as a filmmaker dream projects well i know like my bigger projects in production right now and i mean to an extent to go back to development hell like all my projects are in development hell because they got frozen for a year yeah, yeah. Um, i like had plans for a feature by the end well that one actually yeah. parted ways so okay took the funds and I've moved it into a feminist alien movie that we are going to shoot in New Mexico. Oh, that sounds great. That's the baby. And then there's, I think I might have talked to you about this before. There's another feature developing very slowly with another Columbia classmate for, for multiple years that's 
sort of semi-autobiographical and it's about a woman whose mother dies and she gets haunted by this ghost and it leads she's a first generation Moroccan immigrant in Virginia and it sort of leads her back to uh, Morocco and it's yeah so I think that's like I'll try and get the micro budget feminist alien off the ground next year and then I'm sure you will there's never yeah. been a better time for that. This is what we are demanding it. It's literally, I don't know if you've ever looked into it, but like there are, there are very few femme-focused, feminist uh, alien movies. There's one on Netflix with Horse Girl that's like kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah it's very like really the last 10 minutes, which is, which is also an alien trope. They like the last 10 minutes are like this incredible alien scene. The rest is like, what's going on? Um, so it I've been doing this research and it's like, there really is a gap in the market. So it's too bad. Well, you gotta, you gotta be the person that gets there first. We're, we're, we're getting in there. <laughs> what are we going to make our alien? I love that. I haven't seen like a, I I haven't seen a good sci-fi horror in a while. I, it's a it's a genre that I sometimes accidentally miss. Oh me but, too. I didn't think much research into it because I feel like it was a gap in my knowledge. Like of course, being horror people, we, we know a lot, but like I was not an expert in aliens at all. So I, me neither. And I think people are so easy to take horror out of sci-fi horror, but like if you look at the Alien franchise, like you can see how well it can happen. So. Oh yeah. It's incredible. And like, it was, I, was, I was looking the other day and there was, it was like some kind of list. Oh, it was in that McKee uh, screenwriting book. It was talking about the different genres of horror. Cool. There are so many fucking subgenres. And we kind of, I was an expert on most of them except the Western. That's why I was like, I wouldn't call myself a Western right. person, but I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm fantasy, sci-fi, uh, gothic. I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in all of them. Um, but with the more spooky element. The Western is like, uh-huh. I've never really got into the iconic Western films. Like, I love the style, but I've never, like, it's not my, it's not a natural, like, it's really uh, masculine. Yeah, and I'm not interested unless there's a female protagonist. Exactly. Ever, which is on yeah. me. But... Maybe we have to make that in the future. We'll come together and make a no. fun Western. Okay, <laughs> well, finally, finally, <laughs> we're getting it together. What have you been watching uh, stuck in quarantine? Has there been anything noteworthy or spooky? I had, well, I had this this deep moment of alien research, obviously, and, and one of the best so cool. ones I watched was one called, I think it's called like XRTO, and it's on YouTube, mm-hmm. and it's a really schlocky B-movie one that kind of, it's got like a creepy child in it, it's got awesome. like gratuitous alien set, it's got everything, it's really great, I highly recommend that. All right, all right, I'm gonna have to watch that. I love that you're in like a alien wormhole. Oh, yeah. What trying, a place I, to be. Focus on the alien, but recently I got distracted and I made a list. I haven't started watching it, but like our alien film is going to have mental mental illness. That's cool. So I made like a huge list of mental illness films, um, but I haven't watched any, so I can't talk about those. I, I, I made an anime. I, I'm, I haven't watched anime in a long time. Uh-huh. So I started watching a bunch of anime, like a bunch of classics. I watched, um, I think it's called Model Actress. Really, really good. And then I watched another one by the same director, which was when people, it felt kind of, matrixy people were going into people's minds and it was like this like crazy brightly colored cornucopia of crazy is it called blue or am i making that up perfect blue yeah it's like the one i know about i'm so impressed with myself oh my god and then Uh, i watched the i can't remember its name but it was it was a it was it was one because i'm also writing a script about a like a romantic comedy about why witches and demons didn't be together it's like big no-no oh my goodness that's sexy it's really sexy I, it. <laughs> um, I, I watched there was an anime and I, I'll find the name but it was like the there's a demon and then the regular realm and in our realm of course like the, the human man 
falls in love with the demon equivalent of him. They're like the CIA, but there's a demon version and there's a human version and they kind of get I together. But then the beginning scene is him going to a bar and like he's been like seeing this meek bartender woman. He really, really likes her and he finally gets to take her home and she turns into this like very voracious sexual predator and then morphs into a spider and there's oh like God. a spider and it tries to eat him and I was like, I'm obsessed with I this. I love vagina horror, especially yeah. if it's done from a feminist perspective. We need yeah. more of it. People are so scared of vaginas and we just don't talk about it. So, oh, I love big spider vagina person. That sounds wild. I'm going to tell you the name. Oh, yeah, I have to figure that one out. Okay, that's easy to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it was a very, it wasn't a great movie, but the, vis- the visual feasts have, like, stayed with me. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. I, I used to be uh, such, like, um anti-anime person. And then I was educated, and I started with Studio Ghibli, and... Um, I've been, because they just put it on all of them on Netflix Canada, which is where I am. Oh, and I, I've never, I've seen My Neighbor Totoro for the first time in, and it's, it was, it, I cried. I didn't, I, yeah. And Bonfire of the Fireflies, I think. Grave of the I just watched Grave of the Fireflies. Oh my God. Too sad. I, I, I regret watching it. Oh. It's unacceptable. <laughs> it's like rude, you know? I'm probably not going to watch that film ever again. I'm I don't want you to. I'm probably never, ever going to watch it again because it was just, it was so tough. It's, it's okay. brutal. It's not for the COVID era, you know? Although maybe, no. maybe it is. No, no. More um, I, I also made a list of like LA films to watch. Okay. And that I, I watched a comedy. It was a little bit de- dated. It was a Steve Martin, but um, let me find the list. Oh, I love him. He's so good on Twitter, by the way. Oh, is he? He's so, my mom got me onto his Twitter. It's incredible. I love that. He just uh, dressed up as um, the fly and your vice president. Oh, God. He is very funny. Yeah, he's adorable. I think he's kind of hot, actually. He is kind of hot. Like, in this, it's quite creepy because he was dating, um, like, like an 18-year-old Sarah Jessica Parker and oh. also his own age. So there was, like, this... There was some good moments because it was, like, stuff I know about L.A. and it was fun seeing it on screen. I think it's called L.A. Story or something like that. That does sound familiar. An 18-year-old Jessica Parker sounds iconic, though. Yeah, she looked... Uh, yeah, it's called L.A. Story. So I watched okay. that. Um, cause I was also like, oh, I'm just going to watch a bunch of LA movies. And then I watched, um, I rewatched The Player. Have you seen it? It's like, um, Tim, Tom Robbins, Tim Robbins. Is this the I one in one shot? Them. No, it's not. No, I have not seen it. It is, but it's, it's basically, he's, he's a, he's a, a writing guy for a, he runs the writing section of a studio and then he starts thinking someone's trying to kill him. And so he ends up killing someone. And oh, it wow. would be another movie where he has absolutely no consequences in the end. Like, you think something's going to happen, and then he's above it all, and it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is the theme for white men. Well, see how it's let's going. see what happens. Well, see, speaking of, how do you feel? Um, are, are you an American citizen? No. I just, I just got my, um, my O-1 visa through. Gotcha. Sit here kind of nervously watching because because Trump's main every president has a an issue they really really get behind and Trump's thing is immigration he fucking hates Im- immigrants of all sorts yes I'm uh, familiar I'm not the most hated but he still hates the students who become uh, who get visas that's, that's one of his uh, people to attack that's, so, that's frightening yeah, yeah I don't know if 
saw during this period, he made a rule that like, if you weren't having in-person classes, and it got overturned quite quickly, like, but if you weren't having in-person classes, you have to be deported. And so that was insane and affected like a bunch of people I know, but then they, they turned it around and it was fine. But like in COVID, it was just like, what? Yeah, yeah of course. I, I, it's just, of course, the time that I was struggling to get my my new visa is the time that Trump is in office and his main issue is all immigrants. I yeah, think. I think. I mean, I think it was it varies state to state, but I, in general, I think it's really. I, I talked to my therapist about. She's like, yeah, it's really causing high anxiety with my clients. Like, it's really huge anxiety. I'm I'm happy for my therapist as well. Like, I hope that they're making bank. But um, yeah. yes, that's true. But LA, it's a bit different because I feel like it's not like people are walking on the streets and I'm seeing newspaper titles and stuff. It's just like, you're just sort of, I'm seeing the anxiety on Instagram and Facebook. And then hmm. the UK is also in its big second wave. Like, oh, and God. in California, we just had like spiraling uh, numbers of deaths for ages. And then I think because I grew up with rain every single day for mm. most of my life in London. Oh, I'm jealous. I, That's what I, I want. Well, you can, well, with the Commonwealth, you can move to the UK quite easily, I believe. I, I, that sounds right. I have to just believe you because I don't have the info, but that sounds correct. I have been yeah. and I loved it and I'd love to go back the second that I can. And Yeah, well, I don't know about you, but my, my festival run, I, between April and September, I would barely have been in LA. I would have been all over the fucking world. <laughs> so which is, it's a bit irritating. It, where where <laughs> yeah. would you have, like, what big uh, travel destinations did you miss out on? So I was going to be all over America. I was going to do like Cleveland and Maryland, small states. And mm-hmm. then... Oh, Canada. I, you were going to come to I Montreal. Yeah, oh. I would have been at Fantasia. Asia. Bummer. Amazing city. I, would have, I, I, I try. Like there are festivals that my projects don't get into, but bigger ones where I just sort of go to kind of see what's going on and network. And like my plan this year, I was going to do Locarno. Um, I was also going to try and do, I think it's... Um, I really said Fright Fest, Fa- um, Fa- Fantastic Fest I was going to do in Austin. That's a great festival. I, I wanted to just go and like see what, see what it's yeah, about. Yeah. So of a vision that I'm submitting there in the future. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to go to this one in uh, Romania called Transylvania Cluj. And then I was going to stay for a month because I'm developing a project. I have there. to know more about that festival. That sounds yeah. like the best well, festival in the world. Yeah, I've, I've never been, but I hear it's the best festival in Romania. And so I found out like a project. My plan was like, do the 10 days of the festival, meet some people, then go to Romania, like have my meetings, do my research, and like get this project underway. Um, I would love to go to Romania. Happen. And I feel like a lot of horror movies end up shooting in Romania for some reason or another. That's why, just like with Mexico, I kind of want to build a relationship there because I feel so like smart. it's easier to shoot and it's cheaper and I like the folklore. And then actually, out of COVID, I... I went to my Ricky healer who was like, you need to start remotely starting your, your international projects because like you can do a lot not being there. Like stop, stop playing victim. You need to start like making inroads even though you're not physically there. So possible. I have another project in, like basically I wanted to make folkloric projects that kind of cast, cast light on, on uh, politics, like, like contemporary politics, not like governmental necessarily, yeah, but yeah. women's issues, whatever. And so I wanted to do one in Ireland. I wanted to do one in Romania. And it just so happens that like my Irish one is getting more traction for some reason. Like it was always my Romanian when I meet Romanian people maybe like, okay, come, we'll, we'll have dinner in Romania. I'll show you this. Yeah. Now like, I have some Irish friends who just appeared in LA and they're like linking me to folklore experts and like various- Okay, well, I, I'm obsessed with folklore and folklore content. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about these projects? Because I really want to know. Well, if, I, so, if I can't, that's okay. No, no, I can 
can tell you, but we're okay. really, it's such an early phase. Uh-huh. The way, the way, the, basically, the way Diablo was made and the way these two films are going to get made is I, I start researching contemporary politics or like think about something that's like affecting me. And then usually I go to the place for a month and I have conversations, and I meet with people and I see what's, what's going on in that place. Yeah. And then I marry it to a folklore. So for a long time in Romania, I was going to be something werewolfy because they had these packs of stray dogs everywhere. But then my friend was like, they recently killed all the dogs. And I was like, okay. No, not the dogs. <laughs> no, but they're quite scary okay. because they're, they're feral and they kind of band together. In oh, like I... <laughs> that sounds scary. <laughs> Mexico dogs, too. They're but... not very friendly. Like, yeah. They kind of want to eat you. <laughs> I know. My, uh, my best friend adopted a dog from Mexico and oh. she's terrified. This dog is terrified of kids because I guess the culture in Mexico is that the kids and the dogs don't have a great relationship. And uh, But she's a sweetie. Her name is Jojo. I'm shouting her out right now. <laughs> hey, um, Jojo. So uh, I was thinking... I was thinking werewolves, but then, but then uh, a friend was going to hook me up, and this she she made this promise to me like over a year ago. So we'll see, like maybe it's going to. But there's a, a director she wanted to link me to who did quite well. I can't remember her name, but um, she did quite well at Cine Fondation, and then she works with uh, gypsy culture. Like like she's got some Roma in her, and the story is based on that. Um, and of course, you know, you know my my propensity for witchcraft. So the story could go in a number of ways. I have some writers. I I've kind of who are interested i just need to figure out what the thematic thing is and we can begin development with with the irish my my reiki healer was like and this is hilarious i don't i don't think it will end up being one she's like there's gonna be a folk tale that's really important about a fairy with soup in a tree and i was like that sounds really weird i mean i'm not mad (laughs) what the fuck is that (laughs) yeah i don't know um but that's the that's May not end up being a folktale reference, but that is that is something I'm researching right That's now. That's floating in the ether. You know, I love the idea of just following the creative impulse and not saying no to anything and just sort of finding what's going to happen. I love that. I love that you're not tethered to anything specific. No, I mean that's that's what ha- that's when I when I'm do my full creative producing for a short. That's the way I work. Like if someone's brought me on as a producer and they have a project, then it's it's a very different way of working. But when mm-hmm. I'm doing my full creative, like that's that's how I prefer to work. I saw that you do have writing and directing credits. Is that something that you're going to continue to do? I think I really don't like directing. It makes me very very stressed out, and I think it's because I'm the control freak producer. So I'm worrying about mm-hmm. like all the other roles of the people on set are and not thinking about my directing and so it's not like I think I have to maybe if I produce a lot more I'll feel more comfortable doing directing because I'll start trusting the people I hire but direct yeah right now directing no but writing it's just an idea that came to me during COVID and I um and I was like I have because the school I went to is sort of known for its screenwriting so we do a lot of screenwriting classes even as producers Mm -hmm. so I haven't written anything since school and I was like okay well maybe I should just try this like either write the script or write a treatment see if I can sell it or give it to another director to do or I don't know but just get this thing out of my system and it's it's good practice for me because so much of my time is doing development notes on my director's scripts or my Mm -hmm. writer's scripts so, so yeah, I think writing sense. will probably become, uh, maybe that I'll do more going forward. But I also have a huge problem like with the producer scattered brain where I'm like, I want to be doing things all the time and sitting still and writing something 
like I have to take away all distractions and trap myself somewhere without internet basically and and so it's not it's not that's not a fun process for me either but I'm more comfortable with it than I am directing so that I understand totally and they're all very different skills too to be a really good producer which it sounds like you are like it, it takes a certain kind of person a certain kind of brain I when I saw Diablo yes, in yes. Mexico City I was I, I thought this is radical literally and I yeah yeah so I I'm absolutely going to be keeping an eye on everything that you do and I yeah. hope that we stay in touch throughout yeah. this and maybe I mean, you one day loved your film too oh like, well thank you so much me and Dia- Diana Diana <laughs> yes I remember me and Diana loved it oh I so. love that yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> pass that on to to my co-director Emily um, yeah. Who you would love. I just feel like you guys are two peas in a pod and we should meet oh, one day. Well, if you ever come to LA or maybe one day I'll get to come back to Canada. Yes. <laughs> have you ever been to Toronto? I have. I, I was at Toronto Film Festival. I went, oh. um, I went last fall, like not this cycle, the one before, and I had an incredible time. I had many friends. And everyone was like, why don't you move to Canada? There's so much money for you here as a Commonwealth person. I was like, please don't tempt me. I love moving country, so please don't tempt me. I warn you, it's cold. I will. I, like, I know that's the stereotype, that's but if you're liking LA right now, like, it's cold here. Like, I had to layer today, but... Yeah, I will um, say I don't miss seasons at all. Like, I love ugh. fall and spring, but I do not miss seasons. Like, I could, this eternal summer is great for me. <laughs> I think I could handle that. I think I could. I, yeah. I had a trip to Mexico booked for April. And I have a wedding in Mexico that's been pushed to next year. It's such <sighs> a shame. Oh, my God. I, my goal now is to get married in Mexico. So thanks for putting that in my mind. Do it. 2022. <laughs> romantic <laughs> like exciting adventure my my friend went on holiday there and it's now engaged to a guy and this happened in like a six month period uh, and my other friend yeah. went on his birthday and he said he had like five guys he was like there's just something in the air there literally yeah. it's magic it's, it's like just the like the, witch is yes it's a, have you heard of the la sex witch because i was just listening to a podcast about the la sex witch she was in like the 1960s and like the and she was like um like assigned as the official witch of LA. And then she like put like a sex spell on LA, which was supposed to heighten everyone's libido. And it was like pretty wild. So if you I ever get think chance, sex magic, I've got a whole book on sex. Yeah, magic. yeah. I feel like LA must be the sex magic capital of the world. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, I'm going to look up this woman. Maybe she's going to be good research. Yes. Um, but anyway, I won't keep you any longer. This was super lovely. Anyway, have a really good rest of your day and let's talk soon. You too, and stay in touch. Bye for now. Okay, well, thank you for listening. And if you could do us a big favor of liking and subscribing to the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad anywhere that you listen to podcasts, leave a review. Uh, leave a little five-star rating and like us anywhere that we're on social. We are at Devil Hell Pod, at Development Hell Pod. We are there. Just type us in, engage with us. We are, um, we're bored. It's COVID. You know, we want to, we want to say hi. All right. So we'll see you in another couple weeks with another episode of Development Hell.
Scream Pod Squad.